Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, September 28th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The New York Times with an explosive report on the president's taxes saying that Trump paid only $750 the year he was elected 2016 and nothing at all in 10 of the 15 years prior to that. Meanwhile, controversy swirling around the president's pick to replace the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We have a look at his choice, Amy Coney Barrett. And around the world, nearly one million people have now died from the coronavirus pandemic, while here in the U.S., bars and restaurants in Florida fill up after the governor lifts all restrictions. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. President Donald Trump's taxes once again taking center stage. On Sunday, the New York Times released a bombshell report about Trump and his financial dealings. The tax returns that Mr. Trump has long fought to keep private paint a very different picture from the one he has sold to the American people. The New York Times reporting that President Trump paid just $750 in federal income taxes the year he won the White House, and the same amount his first year in office. The paper also saying that of the 18 years they examined, he paid no federal income tax in 11 of them because he reported losing much more money than he made. Here it is, a month before the election, October surprise. This happening just two days before the first presidential debate. The president denying it, calling it fake news. Well, first of all, I paid a lot, and I paid a lot of state income taxes, too. Uh, the New York state charges a lot, and I paid a lot of money in state. Uh, it'll all be revealed. It's going to come out. But the Times reports the president has been fighting with the IRS for years over a nearly 73 million tax refund he claimed. If he loses that battle, it could cost him over $100 million. They're doing their assessment. We've been negotiating for a long time. Things get settled, like in the IRS. But right now, when you're under audit, you don't do it. The Apprentice, along with the licensing and endorsement deals that flowed from his expanding celebrity, brought Mr. Trump a total of $427.4 million. According to the Times, he invested much of that in a collection of businesses, mostly golf courses, but over the years, that cash has been drying up. This suggests that Donald Trump needs the presidency right now because of the bills he has coming to him. Mr. Trump also reportedly owes more than $300 million in loans that he's personally responsible for over the next four years. Alan Garten, a lawyer for the Trump Organization, telling the New York Times most, if not all, of the facts appeared to be inaccurate, and then taking direct issue only with the amount of taxes Mr. Trump had paid, saying in this statement, over the past decade, President Trump has paid tens of millions of dollars in personal taxes to the federal government, including paying millions in personal taxes since announcing his candidacy in 2015. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi released a statement saying the Time story shows President Trump's disdain for America's working families. The Times says it won't release the tax return information publicly in order to protect the sources, quote, who have taken enormous 
personal risk to help inform the public, end quote. And joining me now is Chris Liu. He's a former White House aide to President Obama. Thanks so much for joining us on this conversation, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Now, talk to us about the political consequences of this New York Times story. Can this hurt the president politically? We've seen Trump survive one scandal after another. Is this any different? That's a great point. Uh, You know, over the last month, we've seen a series of damaging revelations, first with the Atlantic story about his views on the military and then the Bob Woodward book. I think this one is different, though, and I think that $750 figure I think will really resonate with most Americans who all pay more or the vast majority pay more than $750 in taxes. In fact, in this country right now, if you earn $20,000 a year, you will pay $780 in federal taxes. You know, look, there's a lot of things that are hard to understand in this story, all the tax shelters, the losses, uh, his his businesses that haven't done well. Uh, but the crux of it is that we have a system that is rigged against average Americans. And I think this provides an important opportunity for Joe Biden to contrast his economic message, which is about minimum wage, paid leave, college costs, versus the president's economic vision, which is about more tax cuts for people like him. The president has over $400 million in personal and other debt, money that will be due in the next four years, and some analysts believe this makes him a national security risk. Can you elaborate on that and why? Well, you know, look, uh, he, he, he owes a lot of money. Um, there's still a lot of information that is not known about how he's financing uh, his existing operations. But I think it speaks more broadly to why previous presidents have released their tax returns. Previous presidents have essentially divested all of their assets because you want the person who is sitting in the Oval Office to be 100 percent focused on the interests of the American people, not wondering how they're going to uh, pay back loans, not looking for additional sources of funding. And what we have seen over the past three and a half years is this mixing between the official functions of the presidency and the president's own uh, private uh, financial interests as well. And so at the very least, it's a conflict of interest. And depending on where the president decides to seek additional funding, it could create a national security risk. The president is denying this report. He said he has paid federal taxes. He claimed again that he is under audit by the IRS and will release his filings once it's all over. The president is, in fact, under audit for a $72.9 million refund. What is all this about? Yeah, let's first of all um, dissect all of this. There's no reason why if you're under audit that you can't release your tax returns. I mean, that's just a fiction that this president has come up with. In fact, let's just also say during the campaign in 2016, he did promise to uh, uh, release his tax returns. In this broader issue about him paying millions of taxes, what's important to understand is in his statement, he talks about millions in personal taxes. No one disputes that he's probably paying his Social Security taxes, his Medicare taxes, probably uh, property taxes as well. But this key federal income tax, the $750 that he paid for two different years, there is no disputing that at all. Um, Nor is there disputing the fact that this is a president um, who has lost a lot of money on his businesses, who is highly over leveraged and is is in constant need for additional funding. From what has been reported in the New York Times, has the president and his organizations broken any tax laws? 
Well, there are a lot of questionable things in here. I mean, we have seen um, in the New York Times reporting how his personal expenses, like you know, his hair, uh, are now becoming business deductions. Uh, you or I could not easily do that. Uh, there's also a broader issue about consulting fees that he paid his daughter Ivanka and then deducted those as business expenses and whether that's an improper use of the gift tax. And it's frankly one of the reasons why the Manhattan district attorney uh, is trying to seek access to the president's financial records, because whether it's the inflating of assets or it's the avoidance of taxes, this gets very, very tricky. And what we see, at least in this glimpse right here, um, is that a president may, the president may have been playing fast and loose with the rules, uh, and that's why he's under investigation right now. Well, thank you so much for explaining all this. Chris Liu, former senior White House aide to President Obama. Take care. Thank you. And now to the Supreme Court showdown. The president tapping conservative Judge Amy Coney Barrett to replace the late progressive icon Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Confirmation hearings will begin on October 12th. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Congratulations. President Trump is brimming with confidence in the fight over his Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, predicting a quick confirmation. I think we're going to have it done easily before the election. Just 36 days out from election day, it's full steam ahead. Her qualifications are unsurpassed. This should be a straightforward and prompt confirmation. Judge Barrett is a former law clerk to the late Justice Antonin Scalia, her mentor, and at 48 years old, she'd have decades to shape the law in America. I clerked for Justice Scalia more than 20 years ago, but the lessons I learned still resonate. His judicial philosophy is mine too. A judge must apply the law as written. Democrats are dismayed. They're arguing the vacancy should be filled by the president the voters will choose a little more than a month from now. They're gearing up for what's almost guaranteed to be a losing confirmation battle in the Republican-controlled Senate, but they say it's one worth fighting because so much is on the line. The right to choose abortion, healthcare coverage, and the election itself, which could end up in the high court. Joe Biden zeroing in on the Affordable Care Act as the court prepares to hear a case in November that couldn't guarantee coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. This is about people's health care in the middle of a pandemic. Andrea, right after the official nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, members of the Democratic Party in Congress are saying that they are not going to meet with her. But the reality is that everything is ready inside the Senate Judiciary Committee, like you said, on October 12th, they will start with the opening statement. From the 13th to the 15th, they will have the first and second round of questioning. And then on the 22nd, they are expected to vote. And then the full vote on the Senate will happen anytime between the 26th and 30th of October. Live on Capitol Hill, back to you, Andrea. All eyes will be there. Thanks so much, Edwin, for that report. And right before the election. A top Republican from the administration of George W. Bush is endorsing Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. Tom Ridge is a former secretary of the Department of Homeland Security and a one-time governor of Pennsylvania. He writes in an op-ed in the Philadelphia Inquirer, he's voting for Biden. He says President Trump, quote, lacks the empathy, integrity, intellect and maturity to lead. Ridge joins a list of prominent Republicans backing Biden. 
And a new national poll of Latino registered voters found Democratic nominee Joe Biden and Kamala Harris leading President Trump and Vice President Pence by double digits. The poll by Univision Noticias found Joe Biden leading with 66 percent and later President Trump trailing behind at 24 percent. The poll conducted by Latino Decisions and North Star Opinion Research also found that 73 percent disapprove of President Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, with only 27 percent approving. Joining us now is Sergio Garcia Rios, Director of Polling and Data at Univision Noticias. Thanks so much for being here, Sergio. Thank you. So let's break these numbers down. Great. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are leading by a substantial margin among registered Latino voters. Like we just said, 66 percent to 24 percent. What's behind those numbers? It's uh, very substantial. It's not only double digit, it's 40 points. Uh, but um, what we want to see behind these numbers is what happens also at the state level. Uh, the lead that uh, Biden has drastically drops in a state like Florida. We see uh, a lead of about 16 points. And in other states, we see similar patterns. But in a state like Florida, where it's going to be so crucial, and I should say it's probably going to decide the election, that lead uh, drops. What else is behind this? Is certainly, and you mentioned this at the top of the um, segment, is the coronavirus. The coronavirus has affected uh, Latino communities disproportionately. And healthcare was already a priority uh, throughout the election. Healthcare was already, uh, during the primary, was the main topic uh, that Latinos mentioned. And now with the coronavirus and with Latinos being affected as they have, it's become the main priority. And on this topic, um, the uh, Latinos don't necessarily uh, approve of, of uh, uh, President Trump's work. And again, the differences within states, we did this over samples in Texas, Florida, and Arizona, and we see this margin uh, dropping drastically in Florida, where there's been a lot of efforts on the uh, Trump's campaign to gain some, uh, some momentum. Well, we know that Texas, Florida, and Arizona are key states in the election. You also mentioned the coronavirus pandemic, which is a concern, I would say, not just among Latinos, but among many people at a national level. What other issues, though, do you believe matter to Latinos right now? Well, certainly, again, healthcare and coronavirus, but there's also jobs is one of the main priorities. There's also income. There's also improving wages. Um, those are uh, some of the top priorities that, that we have seen. And in general, we, we don't see a lot of support for uh, the way that uh, President Trump has handled this. Over 70 percent of the respondents say that they disapprove of the handling of the coronavirus. This definitely is affecting um, his numbers at the national level. Now let's talk about another hot topic right now, the Supreme Court issue. Latinos are somewhat split. That's what you guys found when asked if they support or oppose President Trump nominating a replacement to the Supreme Court before the November election. 41% support it and 46% oppose it. Talk to us a little bit more about that question. Yeah, we really see a split here. Uh, with uh, We see a slight um advantage to the post, but really they're, they're split. And what we have what we found, because we asked this question in several ways, is that when we give the respondent some information, when we give them some context and what's at play, namely either the 
uh, DACA or abortion. They tend to be much more informed. Moreover, when we tell them what happened uh, in 2016 with the nomination after um, Scalia's uh, passing, remind them of what happened with nine months uh, uh, before the election, what happened back then, and the nomination not happening. And now, with about a month before the, uh, the election, uh, when we remind them of that, that support actually drops. So there's more of a rejection to do this when we give them more information. So this split might very well just be a, a result of Latinos really not knowing everything that there's to know about this, both the importance of this nomination and then how things have played out. Very interesting to hear that. Basically, it comes down to how you phrase the question, perhaps. So thanks so much, Sergio Garcia Rios, director of polling at Univision Noticias. Have a great day. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Now to the latest on the coronavirus pandemic. Deaths globally approaching 1 million as cases right here in the U.S. average more than 40,000 daily. New York seeing spikes in some areas as Florida announces a full phase three reopening. Lorraine Caceres has the latest. The world quickly approaching a million deaths due to coronavirus. The U.S. still leading the world in infections with more than 7 million cases and over 200,000 deaths. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation projecting the daily death rate could rise from 765 to an alarming 3,000 by late December. We don't carefully follow the guidelines, the other guidelines, the masking, the distance, the crowds, that we may see another surge again. In 33 states and Puerto Rico, numbers are moving in the wrong direction. Wisconsin setting a new record for positive coronavirus cases in a day with nearly 3,000 cases. Over the weekend, New Jersey saw its highest daily case count since early June, and New York reported over 1,000 cases for the first time in three months. The state is still among those with the lowest positivity rate in the country, but Governor Andrew Cuomo is urging residents to stay vigilant. I urge New Yorkers to keep wearing masks, socially distancing and washing their hands, and local governments must continue to enforce state public health guidance. Meanwhile, in Florida, where deaths surpass 14,000 and cases 700,000, the governor announcing on Friday full phase three reopening, allowing bars and restaurants statewide to operate at 100% capacity. In South Florida, the state's epicenter mayors expressing concern. We've been reopening to 50% capacity. We're going to try to stay there, notwithstanding the governor's order. The problem with the governor's order, he didn't just accelerate it and open up bars as well, but he also stopped our ability to create a mask mandate and fine people for, mask, uh, for not wearing masks. So he essentially took away the one thing we were doing 
which was actually allowing us to open up the economy and then accelerated the opening up of the economy without telling anybody. We'll see in the next couple of weeks whether he's right about his perspective. But if, it, if he's wrong about his perspective, it's going to be very, very, very difficult uh, for him. And it's, it's going to be in a very difficult time because it's in the middle of flu season. Ron DeSantis also said that he expects Florida to be able to host a full-capacity Super Bowl this coming February. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., NBC News and CNN reporting that the director of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, was overheard in a phone conversation saying that he is very concerned over the influence that Dr. Scott Atlas has had on the president. Atlas is the president's advisor on COVID-19 matters. He was heard saying that everything Scott Atlas says is false. Back to you, Andrea. Let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Thanks so much, Lorraine, for that information. And the economic crisis brought on by the coronavirus pandemic has left millions scrambling to find work in New York. Some have turned to selling food on the street, but as Blanca Rosa Vilches reports, there are new obstacles in their path. Unemployment has forced people to take the streets to make a living. We do what we can do to earn money and support our families. Rosa has six children. In order to work, however, she had to apply for a license. So street vendors in New York City have to obtain two things. One is to be certified by the Department of Health that you know how to prepare food uh, in a safe way, but also you need a vending permit in order to sell that food. And that's where we have the problem. The city of New York hasn't increased the number of permits that it gives out since the 80s. Which means that thousands of people have to work without a permit something this state senator is looking to change. We want to do is allow the street vendors to register with the city, apply for the permit, and that way we know what's being sold on the street. It's about keeping them safe. It's about keeping consumers safe. Um, but we need the law to catch up with the entrepreneurial spirit and what's happening on the streets of New York. It's estimated that street vendors paid annually 72 millions to give them more licenses will also increase this contribution. In New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.